I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Welcome to episode 126 of the podcast, everybody. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Um, again, hey, hungover. Andrew oh. Frankel. <laughs> you want to get that out there right away, do you? Yes. If, if, if I'm slightly, <laughs> less than my usual scintillating form, um, it's because <laughs> it's quite worrying. This is a mo- it's Monday as we're recording this, um, and uh, my daughter had a much-delayed 21st on Saturday night here. Um, and I think I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's kind of lack of sleep as much as anything else, but, um, yeah, if I sound a bit croaky, that's why. That'll be why. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I remember when I turned 30 and I realised that I was starting to get two-day hangovers. Yeah. They would literally last two days. Yeah. And... Try 56. Well, <laughs> I'll yeah. let you know. Um, I'll be happy if I'm back on good form by this time next week. Okay. Well, I'll try and do most of the talking then. Um, and we've got another busy episode. Um, and we're going to start with some news. Some news about the intercooler. Um, hopefully exciting yeah. news. Um, and it's that we have a brand new podcast series coming this week on thursday last blast arrives um and we're very excited about it do you do you want to sort of explain the concept behind last blast yeah um i think yeah you and i when we first started doing this this podcast you came to me and you said let's do a podcast and i said fine who are the guests going to be and you went no 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 no, no, we're not gonna have any guests because we haven't got the time we haven't got yeah it's just gonna be you and me and i said well that's a really stupid idea because who's going to want to listen to you and i um blathering on relentlessly but apparently if you do which is which is fantastic and and we we never forget it and we're always grateful for it but we have always wanted to do a series with these strange things called guests on it uh, which is what we're going to do. Um, and we thought that rather than just sort of sit them down and chat, which would be nice, and we have absolutely done that, um, but we thought we'd give them a bit of a structure, get them to do a bit of homework, um, make them think about it. Uh, and so what we have done is come up with this format called Last Blast. And the entire point of the podcast uh, is that right at the very end of it, um, after discussing the various cars that have been important to that person's life, whether it's because uh, they've owned them or driven them or raced them or built them or just literally had them pinned on their bedroom walls when they were kids, um, what would they take their last ever blast in? What would they have their final drive in? Um, we also make them say where that drive would be. We also make them tell us uh, who they would be with. Uh, we also make them tell us uh, what their first car was, their first crash, what uh, the first time they ever drove on a racetrack, all that sort of stuff. Um, each one is about an hour long, some are a bit longer. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I've recorded most of them. They're all, I think the phrase is in the can. Um, and it's been tremendous fun to do. Uh, we've got some wonderful, wonderful guests who I'm so proud 
um, have have agreed to come on and talk to us about these these things. Um, some really surprising stuff in there, some quite touching stuff in there. It's I'm I'm just so excited about getting it out there. Um, a bit nervous, but hopefully you all enjoy it. Um, and yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, so um, it's all about the quality of the guests, isn't it? And I'm not going to spill the beans. We've got a, a series of six Last Blast episodes on the way, starting from Thursday and released weekly after that point. I'm not going to tell you who all the guests are, but we can talk about the first one. Um, yeah. And on Thursday, our Last Blast episode with Sir Chris Hoy lands. Um, and it's a, it's a really good interview because he's, well, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's the sort of guy you want to hear from because of, all his success, everything he's achieved. He also just loves cars, loves racing. He loves... I was so starstruck. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> um, because actually, you know, I can go and talk to... And we do actually. One of the um, last boss coming up is with, um, you know, a big important boss of a big important car company. And I can do that without thinking about it. But put me in front of a... What is he? He's a six times Olympic gold medalist. He's our second yeah. most successful Olympian and an 11 times world champion. Um, and it's all just a bit daunting. Um, mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't come across too much. Uh, but in fact, um, and I know everybody says this about every guest, but he genuinely, he is such a nice bloke. He is so easy to talk to. And he's so passionate um, about his cars and his choices and his life. Um, I, I, I sort of went in there thinking, oh, blimey, um, and came out again thinking, that was a joy. That was such good fun. Mm. So hopefully some of that will come across. Yeah, no, it does. It really does. And, you know, he takes cars seriously. He takes racing seriously. He raced at Le Mans, um, and he talks about that a lot in the episode. It's really good. Yeah. Um, Last Blast is sponsored by Footman James, the insurance company. So thank you to Footman James for making Last Blast possible in the first place. Footmanjames.co.uk if you're on the lookout for car insurance. The final thing to say about Last Blast, it's an important thing to say about Last Blast, it's for... TI subscribers only. It sits behind the paywall on our website and app. And if you want to listen to the episodes in full, an hour plus each one, you do need to be a subscriber to the Intercooler. So if you're already subscribed, well, thank you. And also, hopefully this is a nice additional treat for you um, starting this week on Thursday. If you're not yet subscribed already and you've been meaning to, maybe now is the time to do it with Last Blast on the way. Um, and what we go. we're going to we'll do is we're, we're going to be really cruel. So we are going to release a chunk of it, aren't we, onto all normal <laughs> oh, yes. podcasts. Um, but we'll make sure the chunk doesn't tell you what the last blast is going to be. It'll, it, won't, mm. it won't even tell you what most of the cars are going to be. Um, but you will be able to hear enough to get a feel for how, uh, how it all works um, and hope, <laughs> hopefully um, enough to entice you to come and subscribe to it. And I think the point about that is, you know, although obviously we don't pay guests to come on it, they come on it because they want to and for no other reason. Um, it does take time and it does take money um, to organise this stuff, to do it, to edit it, to put it together, to put it out. Um, we're incredibly grateful to Footman James um, for helping us with that. But we genuinely think, and I, I try really hard not to be big-headed on this podcast, but we think it is... Well, we're proud of it. We think it's quite a special thing. Um, and, you know, like all special things, I don't think it's unreasonable to hope that people would put, what are we talking about? You know, well, the way the beer is going at the moment, I always used to say that a subscription <laughs> to, uh, to TI cost a pint of beer a month. Uh, it's going to be about a half at the moment, the way the price of beer is going. But anyway, for, for that kind of money, to be able to access everything that's on the website, all the incredible writers that we have there, um, and this, you know, brand new podcast series, I don't, I hope, that people don't think that's an unreasonable thing to ask. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so there we go. That gets going on Thursday this week. Look out for it. We will, yeah, as you say, we will release a chunk of it to um, uh, this uh, general podcast audience. So you'll find an excerpt on um, on your podcast feeds on Thursday. But if you want the whole thing, you're going to have to get on to the Intercooler. Um, and you can do that at the-intercooler.com. Um, and actually, you can start a free trial, can't you, and listen to the first few episodes. Um, okay. All right, let's move it on a little bit and just talk about some of the stuff that we've posted on the Intercooler app and on the Intercooler website um, in the last few days. I think I want to highlight one in particular, and it's called The Bravest Man I Knew, um, which is... Oh, bloody, a really what a story. It's a brilliant story, but also a really unique insight into mm. actually a unique character. Um, mm. It's all about Donald Campbell. Yeah, I mean... 
I, I, I'm a sort of a bit of a land speed record fetishist. I've, 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 I've been in love with it and obsessed with it since, literally since my earliest days. But the problem is, you get to a point where you've kind of read it all, you know who did what, when they did it, when it went wrong, when it didn't, and the stories are all very similar. Um, but this one isn't. This isn't the sort of, you know, purple prose, um, gosh, wasn't he a brave bloke? Wasn't he? I mean, this is so Gavin Green, former editor of Car Magazine, has written this for us. And he wrote it because when Donald Campbell broke the land speed record in Australia in 1964, his father, Evan Green, was the team manager. And nobody that I have read has been able to provide a greater insight into this very complex man. So although it's called The Bravest Man I Ever Knew, which is a direct quote from Evan Green, um, it's not all praise, is it? It's a, it's a really, really no. interesting insight into the stresses that he was feeling, the pressures, the backstory, the kind of person that he was. Uh, it made me look at an event I thought I knew all about in a completely different way. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really, really cracking read. Gavin is a superb writer you know anybody who's read his stuff in well everywhere from you know car magazine to british airways high life magazine will know what a good writer he is and uh, he's done a superb job for us yeah um okay a couple of other pieces i want to just flag up we've had karoon writing about um life as a formula one pundit and comment and commentator he's yeah um he was out there over the weekend wasn't he at, at zandvoort um working for sky sports f1 um and he reveals some proper insight into what it's like to be um to be a, a f1 pundit having been an f1 driver and actually he's a good person to do it because i th- i've always said he's sky sports most insightful analyst i always learn more from him than i do from you know even some of the much more i guess illustrious or experienced f1 drivers that they have on their their pundit list um so yeah it's a it's a very revealing piece we've also had joe joe fidalgo um <laughs> writing about motorcycles because she took part in the Marley Mile, which is um, a motorcycle festival like no other. Um, and it's a... Actually, I'd never heard of this event before, but it does All sound right. like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and you get very she, muddy, don't you? Or you get covered in this time of year. You get covered in dust and rubbish. Very dusty. And... Yeah, it's the sort of piece I yeah. want to read. I'm not sure it's the sort of thing I want to do. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and just this morning, we've published a piece that you've written, um, and it's recalling the, the time a decade or so ago that you took uh, Sterling Moss and Norman Jewis back to the Mille Miglia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did it because it's, it, it's 10 years, and I still can't believe that they're both gone, and I sort of think of it, and I think just how fun and full of life and on it they were. Uh, you're talking hangovers. The one I had on the, whatever it would have been uh, the Saturday morning after after that when... You know, Sterling, Norman, myself, and a few of the other people who are making this film, which I talk about in the piece, um, retired to the bar. And I just kind of thought, because we'd been on the go all bloody day, uh, and these guys were seriously old. Um, you know, even then, I mean, they were both... No, Norman was in his 90s, and Sterling was in his 80s. And I thought it would just be a sort of quick drink, but bite to be, and not a bit of it. I, mean, it, I, think, I think I ended at one o'clock <laughs> in the morning with Norman trying to tempt me to have another gin and tonic. And I just, I just said, no, I just can't do it. Um, and yeah, so we, we took them back to Brescia because at the time it was the 60th anniversary of them doing the Millimilia in a C-type where they proved the concept of the disc brake and we were making a film about them proving the concept of the disc brake. So we took them back there. They were, even then, the last surviving original Millimilia crew. We had an extraordinary experience there. They got absolutely mobbed. Um, and yeah, it's... Um, it's it's sad that they're not with us, uh, but the film, the film we made, is out there, um, and there's a link in the piece, I think, um, and it's yep. on YouTube, so go and see it. Yeah, do that. Um, okay, Dutch GP. We're not going to talk about it much, because... I didn't see it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was too hungover. No, I wasn't too hungover. I was clearing up, and I was, I was <laughs> taking, I was taking uh, another daughter back to university, and um, yes, so um, no, I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. Um, okay all right well we uh, won't linger too long um i you know we all know that max won um george second charles third um and all the talk really is about whether or not mercedes could have done something differently to have won the race um Mm. 
And actually, when you talk to people really in the know, I did message Karun about this and I said, if Mercedes had actually left both cars out mm. during that, for that final stint, could they possibly have held Max behind? And he just said no. no. So no. it seems to me that no matter what they did after that, um, that full safety car, Max was going to be too fast. He was just going to come through on fresh tyres with a quicker I, car and win the race. But there is some conspiracy theory stuff going on around there. I mean, Toto is saying that, uh, because it was the Alpha Tari, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the wheel come loose or hadn't it come loose. And Toto was quite clearly insinuating that he thought there might have been some funny stuff going on with the Red Bull sister team. I mean, I, to me, I, I, mean, I, okay, I haven't seen it, but... I mean, the point is, is that you know, we're already at a stage now where yeah. for Max to not be world champion this year would require the biggest upset in the history of Formula One. You know, he is so far, but you know, he is so far past the point where you know he doesn't need to race the Ferraris anymore. It just simply doesn't matter. He can let them no. go. They could be twenty seconds a lap quicker. They can come first and second in every race at the end of the from now until the end of the season. He's still world champion. It simply doesn't matter. So, are they really going to do that? I just I mean, maybe they would say, oh, yes, but it was his home Grand Prix. It was the one he wanted to win, yada, yada, yada. I, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. It's, I think it's naughty of Toto or anybody else to suggest there's some funny business there. Um, yeah. You know, and I would have loved to have seen a Mercedes win. Um, yeah, me too. I think, I think even before that first, uh, yeah, Sunoda's virtual safety car, the virtual safety car he caused, um, it was looking like it was going to be the Mercedes on harder tyres having one stopped at the end of the race, Max having two stopped with quicker tyres, um, and he, he'd only have been a few seconds behind them. Um, so yeah. even then, and with he the straight line speed through. that Red Bull yeah. has, it's so yeah. stupidly fast, and with that enormous straight, mm. yeah. He would have come flying through whatever. I don't think the Mercedes mm. were ever going to win that. Um, e- also, you know, even, even Mercedes' own analysis. Yeah. actually says that there's no way that they could have won it um but i just, you know i really want george to win a race and you know i think he is doing given and i know that lewis has had some genuine bad luck um both in this race and uh, and the one before but i think he is doing a stellar job given who's in the other car on the other side of the pit garage and how that team has been built entirely around lewis um and George is keeping him honest, isn't he? I mean, it's it's nip and tuck here and there um, between them, and I just think he's I think he's an absolutely outstanding driver. If you can keep up with Lewis Hamilton at times more than keep up with Lewis Hamilton, I think you are well. You're as good as Lewis Hamilton, aren't you? He is going very well. I think um, Lewis has got him covered in qualifying at the moment, um, and I think I think all if all things are even, I think Lewis does have him covered in the race as well, but it hasn't been panning out that way. And fair play to George. I mean, he's been doing what, he's, what he needs to do to, yeah. to beat Lewis I mean, and to, we, we are to what? maximise I mean, his uh, result. So fair enough. How many, how many races are we in now? We are something like 15 races into the season? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I know that Lewis has uh, had yeah. some bad luck and there's, and there's not a huge points difference between them, but you know, it does all even out over time and George is still leading Lewis by you know, a bit. So I'm not saying for a moment... Mm that he's better than Lewis and Lewis has absolutely had more bad luck than George and I suspect that had that not happened it might be the other way around but just just to even be in the same ballpark as Lewis Hamilton that's the thing you look at Bottas who you know who frankly didn't see which way Lewis went for most of the times that they Mm. were driving together um you know now for a mayor Bottas actually doing quite a good job so I think you know Bottas is clearly you know a pretty decent driver but compared to George he's He's nowhere relative to Lewis. Um, so Yeah, the, the point is with Bottas and George, Mercedes were succession planning, weren't they, for when Lewis disappears? Because Bottas was yep. never going to lead that team. They needed no. another superstar driver in that team, which is why they brought George in, who appears to be of the Lewis Hamilton mould, it would seem. Um, but what I, I think we learn more next year when Mercedes actually have a functioning car, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, you know, presumably they're going to learn a lot from this year's... Um, well, it's not been great, has it? Um, but I, I want to see Lewis versus George in a car that's genuinely working for both drivers, that they yeah. can do what they want to do in, that has a chance of winning races and championships, maybe. Um, 
And then, and that I think, would be I think they're almost there. I mean, we've already said this about Mercedes, isn't there? That you know, nobody develops a car like Mercedes through a season, and they always come strong at the back end. Okay, they still haven't won a race this year, but you know, compared to where they were, mm. um, you know, they are now. You know, they are now talking very bullishly about beating Ferrari to P two in the constructors. Yeah, and it looks I mean, at the start it? of the season, that was a joke. That was mm. unimaginable. And okay, Ferrari have you know. Not exactly covered themselves in glory in terms of no. strategy and, uh, and and everything. Am I right in saying that they they, they only brought three tyres out for Science's first pit stop? Well, there you go, and that's what we're going <clears> to <throat> talk about for the next few minutes. Um, yeah, so Science came in, and I think it's a very late call from him or from the team to pit, um, and so the team weren't ready for him. He had three tyres ready to go, which isn't a great deal of use in F1, is it? Um, and it's so he hopeless. lost. I think he lost 10 seconds or something, and it just totally knackered his race. Um, and it's another example. Well, also, quite apart from that, Charles came third, you know, making the most of um, what happened to Lewis towards the end. But they, they weren't at the races. They weren't challenging for the race win. No one was really talking about them. It was all Red Bull and Mercedes. And so the Ferrari just weren't there. And then they had another cock-up with um with science in the pit lane um and it's just yet another example of that team not functioning at the level anything like the level that it needs to um, and Bonotto has to ultimately hold his hand up to all of this yeah i mean ultimately you know someone needs to do the math i suspect that you know even if they'd made no mistakes at all i think the gulf is so big i suspect that max would still be world champion but it, i mean if they lose p2 in the constructors to what appeared to be at the start of the season, a completely no-hope team. Um, you've got to question Bernotto's position at the top of that team, don't you? Mm, he seems like so. a really nice guy, but, you know, yeah. you come into you, that season after everything that Ferrari's been through it late, and you, it, it appears that you have the quickest car. And you've got, if not the greatest, then probably the second greatest driver lineup um, on the grid, and you throw it away. And it's actually, yeah, the Ferrari v Mercedes thing is an extraordinary thought because back at the start of the season, Leclerc was winning races, setting pole positions, and the Mercedes were nowhere. Um, yeah, so it's a hell of a turnaround, isn't it? Uh, so it's, we wanted to talk about um, other F1 cock-ups, certainly to do with the pit lane, um, because there yeah. have been some good examples over the years. Um, can I give you mine? Go on. And this is... This was catastrophic. Um, this was China, 2007, McLaren, leaving Lewis Hamilton out for too long in the rain on knackered tyres. Uh, Lewis's rookie season, this was the penultimate race. Um, yeah. They left him out too long. He cooked those tyres. They called him in, slippery wet pit lane, off his slides, painfully slowly, into a gravel trap, beached. Out of the race. Lost in the championship. There's no question that that lost in the championship. He'd, he'd only needed to, f- to have finished 5th, 6th, 7th in that race to have had a... He would have won the title in Brazil the following time out. Um, it was a <coughs> catastrophic mistake. Um, and the, the point about that was, this was Lewis's rookie year, that meant, that cost him his title... It, it, the title in his rookie season. How extraordinary would that have been? First well, year in F1. Been done, has it? Win the it's title. never been done. Never well, been well done. Apart, from, apart from Nino Farina yeah. in 1950, which doesn't count, it was everyone's rookie season in Formula yeah, 1, yeah. which doesn't really count. Um, so yeah. that, is a, um, that is a catastrophic gaffe, isn't it, that one? But let, let's spool forward a year to Singapore, 2008. Massa yeah. was released... With the fuel hose still attached. Ooh. Yeah. That cost him a championship too. That Remember cost how close championship. that championship was? Where, where was he running, do you know, in that race? Presumably at the sharp end, because he tended to be that I, season. I think he was leading it. I don't know, but, but, but it, 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 it certainly it cost him a stack of points, mm. and he lost it by one. One, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, maybe that's, that's equally as big, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've been very critical of what Ferrari have done. Okay, so we don't refuel it anymore. But I mean, in terms of pit lane cock-ups, that's that's right up there, isn't there? Yeah, uh, that really is. Yeah, 
Uh, Championship although... losing pit lane cock-ups. How many have there been? It doesn't uh, happen often. No. Okay, can I do a funny one? Sorry, Fancy. <laughs> He's not oh, going to. No. He's, 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 he's not. <laughs> China, 2012. Stopped at the wrong pit but, box. Oh yeah. Where did, did he go to? Where did he go? Which one? He went to. Red, he, he decided to pop in and visit his chums at Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> We've that's happened a couple of times, isn't it? I think um, when Lewis had just switched to uh, Mercedes, he he went via the McLaren pit box. Force of habit, I suppose. Force of habit. Yes, you're right. It did, didn't it? Can yeah. we can we go? Can we do an early one? Yeah. Um, and actually, I think in the end, it was kind of good that this happened. Fangio German Grand Prix 1957. Okay. Mhm. The race was kind of in the bag for him, and he came in and he had the pit stop from hell. They couldn't. I can't remember whether they couldn't get a tire off or they couldn't get a tire on. But one of the two. And a pit stop we should have taken, even back then, a very small number of seconds. Ended up like taking a couple of minutes. And he was so far behind. Everybody went, oh, yeah, race over. Because by this stage, um, Mike Hawthorne and Peter Collins were just miles ahead um, in the lead. Um, and the only person who thought that wasn't going to happen was Fangio. Hmm. And he broke the lap record on every single consecutive lap after that till the end of the race. Um, and he won the race. And what he was helped by was it's such a long lap in the pits, they could see what was happening, um, but it took such a long time for a them to realise just how bad the situation was, and then for them to be able to communicate that news to their drivers. By the time they got the hurry up, Fangio was on them. Um, and, That's a good point. Yeah, because uh, yeah. a normal circuit, you'd have what thirty opportunities to flag to to let the Ferrari drivers know what's going on that yeah. they're in trouble. Well, but here it's more, only nine I mean, you know, Monaco was a hundred laps, but yeah. the German Grand Prix was fourteen. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. So they, so, so, they, mouse, so they found out that they had a big problem on their hands far too late. Um, and mm. yeah, so that was that was that was kind of a good one. Um, yeah. So what others have we got? Uh, what you got? <laughs> okay. What have I got? What have I got? I do write them down. Unfortunately, my, my handwriting is so bad at the moment I can't even remember it. Well, I mean, can we talk about the 2005 US Grand Prix? I mean, this wasn't really a sort of pit lane cock up, although it was tyre related. Yeah. Michelin suddenly discovered that their tyres couldn't go through turn 13. Mm. Um, What a fast Yeah, And so they said that all their drivers would have to slow down. And the problem with it was, if you remember, back then there were no pit stops. Because normally what you do is you just say, well, sorry, guys, you know, if your tyres only last 13 laps, you've got to come in and change them after 13 laps. But that wasn't allowed in the regs. And Michelin decided, Michelin's idea was... Was it one to, set of tyres for the race at that point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You had to go the whole three on the same set of tyres. And so Michelin's idea was that you would, they'd install a, a chicane just before the banking, at which stage the Bridgestone runners, who were only Ferrari, Jordan and Minardi, just said, well, hang on a second. This is mm. your problem. This is not our problem. You know, we don't want a chicane there, so why should we have to put up with a chicane being there? Because you can't make tyres that can go around, a, go around a bank corner. And so they thought, well, yeah, fair enough. And so they all went out for the race, didn't they? And at the end of the warm-up, that, um, all but six of the cars went back, back down the pit lane. Yeah. And yeah. that was that. And it was the most... I mean, it took years for the US Grand Prix to oh, come back after that. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. The damage it did to F1 in North America. What, was, what do you think the correct decision there would have been? Given the damage that was done to F1, what should F1 have done? Put the chicane in. Had a mm. race. Done whatever was necessary. You've got to yeah. think of the greater good. Um, you know, make it up in some way to the Bridgestone runners in some other way. But you know, to have a race, which wasn't a race, to have six cars on a grid, frankly, only two of which had the smallest chance of, of, of winning, both of which belonged to the same team. Um, it was an absolute utter farce and they should have taken a more strategic view of it and copped the flak from Bridgestone and the Bridgestone runners and just, you know, frankly, done a deal and put the chicane in. Yeah. Um, but not easy, yeah, really. Because, yeah, because only now is F1 taking off in North America again. It took 15 years for that to heal, didn't it? Yeah. There we go. Biggest, well, biggest ever pit, pit lane blunder? Why? It's not one of the ones we've mentioned already. Oh, what well, about I think, the? I think I, I, I think I think the Joss Verstappen fire in, yeah. in Germany in '94. Yes. I can, yeah, that's you, pretty. You were, sorry. 
That was pretty catastrophic, that one. Well, I said it wasn't. I, I, I don't think anybody. No, I, think okay. Joss, I think I think Joss burnt the end of his nose because he put his visor up for the pit stop. Yeah. He just wanted to get a, bit of, get a bit of air, and he got a bit. He got a bit of flame instead. But well, nobody well, was there. I remember it was, seeing it, and it just looked horrendous. But it was just a, bit, a little bit of fuel that spilled over the car and ignited, and that was always going to burn off very quickly, wasn't it? I know, but even so, when you see it for the first time, <laughs> yeah. um, it yeah. looks like an explosion actually. That's, that's why we imagine it was much worse than it actually was, because it, it does look like something's blown, but actually it was just some, a splash of fuel igniting, and then it was out very quickly, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. Well, th- I hope at least we've made Ferrari's strategists realise that these things have been going on for decades, and it's nothing new to cock up a pit stop. It's been going on since there have been pit stops, haven't there? And it will, yeah, and it always will, won't it? I guess it's because... There's so little time to think, and there's such pressure. And so many moving parts as well. Do you think, how many people are involved in a pit stop now? Strategists, team boss, lots of mechanics, driver, engineer. Mm. There's a lot of people. And if you're not operating absolutely as one unit, it's going to go wrong at times, isn't it? And that's what Ferrari is demonstrating. Can I tell you, about, I tell you about my worst pit stop? <laughs> go on. Okay, so this was the Spa six hours about four or five years ago. Um, it was late. I was doing the night shift um, in the trusty old Ford Falcon. And I was somewhere out around the back of the circuit. Um, I felt a vibration. And I thought, mm, might be a bit of pickup, but it didn't go away. And so as I came down the... Um, because we used the old pits for the Spa six hours. As we came down... The as I came down towards Eau Rouge, um, I was still going reasonably fast, but the, the whole car was doing this a bit. I was flashing the lights um, to tell the guys on the wall that I was coming in, and so I sort of wobbled around the next lap, came into the pits. Nobody there at all. They got so bored, they sort of <laughs> disappeared back into the pit garage, and there wasn't there wasn't anybody there. So I just sort of sat there like a lemon, thinking, "Where the hell is it?" I think they were all having a cup of tea out the back. They had no, they had, they had no idea I was coming. I sort of came in, and so I thought, well, I better go back out there again. And I think it was something like a wheel weight had come off, and so we changed mm. the tires, and it was fine. But to come down the pit lane and find nobody waiting for <laughs> me was was a little bit chastening. They they, 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 they apparently weren't quite so awestruck by my by my prowess and my lines through O Rouge that I kept them sort of spellbound from start to finish. Um, <laughs> they were out the back having a cup of tea. Thanks, guys. Well, there we go. I don't think even Ferrari have managed that one yet, have they? <laughs> no one, there though. Is. No, usually, you know, th- at least they have, you know, Science had three out of his four tyres. I had nothing at all. <laughs> well, three's not much better, I have to say. Um, all right, good. Yeah, I mean, motor racing cock-ups are going to keep happening, aren't they? Um, they are. All right. One other thing I wanted to talk about this week. <clears throat> How to replace an Alpine A110. Um, <clears throat> I've been on the hunt for a new car. Oh, um, how actually, are you getting on? Have you, have, you, have you found something? I have. Oh, my I God. have. Well, can string... I guess? Yeah, you can, but not yet. I'm going to okay. string this out a little bit. Um, so my, my Alpine went to its new owner a couple of weeks ago. I've been on the hunt for a new car ever since. And actually, <clears throat> it's a long old while since I've been, you know, pouring through classified ads on Autotrader and Pistonheads and all the rest of it, trying to fi- figure out what car I want, because... When I bought the Alpine, I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted an Alpine. I didn't consider anything else. Um, and so it's been years and years since I've und and ahed and vacillated and swung back and forth. And what's, what's been curious this time around is that I found myself genuinely considering an enormous range of cars and an enormous range of budgets, different types of funding. So I've looked at spending a couple of grand cash on some disposable car that would maybe keep me going for a year or two. I've looked at leasing a brand new, just a little city car, just something so that I had wheels, do that for a couple of years. I've looked at different finance options, PCP, a bank loan. I've looked at brand new. I've looked at used. Um, I've been... Just about everything that's sort of within my reach financially, I've quite seriously considered it. Um, I've also thought about some fairly reckless stuff. I think I men- mentioned last week a Jaguar XJR. Um, yeah, I mentioned a, Panamer- 
a Panamera V8 as well. Definitely. Well, okay, it's not totally out there, but it's reckless by my standards, I think. Um, and I would love to smoke around in a XJR or a V8 Panamera for a bit. And actually, for yeah, they would suit me. I'd really enjoy knocking about in one of those until the bills started coming in. And I, to be honest, I just don't think that's a sensible game to play with borrowed money. Maybe I'm being overly cautious, but it just doesn't seem like it's a, a grown-up thing to do, to borrow a load of money and then stick it into a car that could end up costing you a huge amount to run, particularly when things are going the way they are with cost of living and whatnot. Um, I've also considered, and I really, I would really love to have a BMW i3. I really fancy a little... I really fancy a little electric car yeah. because there's nothing I'd actually rather drive around town. Yeah. Um, sadly, the i3, oh, it just doesn't work for me because most of my driving, particularly given where I live, you know, where do we work? We work out towards London or up in the Midlands where all the car makers are. We work in Wales where we photograph cars. Um, so a, a lot of, or we go to airports a lot, don't we? So a lot of my driving is up and down the motorway. Um, and for that, the i3 just doesn't quite work for me. I'd also want the i3s, the more powerful one with the bigger battery, which is the more recent version. They're actually still too expensive. Um, so from Panamera V8 to BMW i3, you can see sort of how torn I was, how unsure I was about what kind of car I needed. Um, and so I did in the end decide to play it a little bit safe. And I thought, I was convinced that the solution here was a Ford Fiesta ST, two, three, four years old. Um, and I went to drive a couple. I love those cars. I, I think I spoke about this in a recent episode. I just think they're brilliant fun to drive. I went to drive a couple last week. Um, I was ready to drive home in one of them. I thought one of these cars will be absolutely right and I'll bring it home with me. I just don't know if a 40,000 mile Fiesta ST is quite the car that I remember so fondly. Um, it might also be that... So both of these cars were at one of those car supermarkets. All of the, Both of them on a total uh, you know, mismatched tyres. Um, yeah. <laughs> on a couple of corners, it would have a good high-performance tyre that you'd heard of. It might have a Michelin Pilot Sport, Super Sport. On the others, it would have some budget thing that you've never heard of at all. Yeah. Um, and all that stuff, it just just means that these cars do not drive quite the way that I remembered them. It also means they've not been looked after. They've not been you know, by people who are bothered yeah. about that sort of thing. And maybe mm. it doesn't matter on a two, three-year-old car, I don't know. But um, that, that, that would set warning bells off in my head. Well, what really set warning bells off in, in my head was... <clears throat> well, one of them was a black car. And it had 17-inch wheels, which was the, the standard wheel option. Almost all of them were specified with the bigger 18s, which do look better. And I actually quite fancied the 17s. I thought, oh, these might improve the ride. Mm. Might feel a bit sweeter on these smaller wheels. Um, actually, I drove it back-to-back with the car on the 18s. And it, it might be that this particular car wasn't in good nick. But the one on the 18s felt so much better. Um, mm. I think it had done fewer miles. It had been looked after a bit better. This black car with the 17s. I drove it, and there were a couple of issues with it. It was making a weird clonking sound, and I was, uh, you know, a bit unsure, a bit unconvinced. And then I leafed through the service manual. Nothing. Not a single service. Three years old. Oh, 40,000 miles. Not serviced Run. once. Not serviced once. And I said to the, oh. I said to the dealer, to the salesman, I'm not going to buy a car that hasn't been serviced once. And he goes, nope, nor would I. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really interesting. I suppose, you know, cars that haven't been looked after, if they've been part-exed, they find their way into these these car supermarkets and they find their way to auction, don't they? Um, Mm. Just trying to to offer. these cars. So how many miles did this car done? It was high 30s, I think, maybe 40,000 miles. So it's done what? It's done almost two laps of the planet on the same oil. Yeah. Forget that. <laughs> I mean, that just engine forget is not going to be in good nick. Yeah. So I did. I disappeared. Mm. Yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, and the other one wasn't quite right. It was a bit more than I wanted to spend. Didn't have some of the options that I wanted. So yeah, that had to go. It, it wasn't. 
Yeah, so the the car with the 18s and the lower mileage wasn't a performance pack car, and the performance pack has the diff, and I wanted yep. the diff. So yeah, it's a, it, I do find myself quite tempted sometimes when I'm there with a car that would just about do the job, and it's not quite right. And sometimes I think, oh, it'd be all right, wouldn't it? And I have to stop myself and think, no, don't rush this. Take your time. Get the car that you really want. Um, I've. I also found myself, and you do this, don't you, on Auto Trader or whatever, just sort of looking at different options. Range Rover Sports, KNs. Have you seen also, the price of fuel recently? Well, there you go. That's probably why I didn't do it. Um, but also E46 M3. Yeah. Because they, the thing about those cars is that they're just not going to lose any value now, are they? No. Um, and that is the biggest cost of motoring. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter. You'd if it have to get a, a really good one, though, wouldn't you? That's it. You have to get a really good one. Otherwise, it's not going to be your, the car you imagine. Your, you'd have to spend time on the forums. You'd have to see... Well, actually, Joe jo Fidelga's got one, hasn't she? And she, yeah. I'm sure she knows what what, what, you know, what to watch out for and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but if you did get a good one, which would be mm. worth spending a bit of money on it, I mean, okay, you spend more money on it, but compared to the depreciation, you're not going to incur. Mm. See, I think that's yeah. what I'd probably do, but you clearly didn't. I didn't. Um no, I've decided to play it a little bit safer. I think, um, I, for now, I just want something that I, it, I know isn't going to cost a huge amount to run. I, something that I know I'm going to enjoy driving. That's important. Something that is going to suit my lifestyle for the next couple of years. We have a baby coming. So I think realistically, I do need to be able to cart a, a baby around in it. Um, Vauxhall so Grandland. Little... Sorry? Vauxhall Grandland. No. <laughs> I think I'd be booted off this podcast if I did that. So, something <laughs> right that so. I, I want to—I want you to guess what it is. Um, something oh, that is God. moderately practical. Something that's still going to be good fun to drive. Something yeah. that's going to be dependable. Yeah. What do you reckon? Well, I mean, bloody hell! I mean, M one forty i. Decent guess. Decent guess. I looked at a couple, certainly online, but I had one. I've had one before, an M135i. And so okay. I, I don't really want to go back. But you're, I'm, you're I'm about the right, kind the right of... book. Yeah, pretty much. Golf GTI. Bingo. Bingo! Yes! Bingo. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Second guess. So, uh, yeah, uh, so it's a, it's a Mark 7.5. Oh, um, bloody hell. It's a performance... So again, Please tell me it's got five doors. You have remembered you've got a child coming, haven't you? <laughs> it's got five doors. It's lovely and low mileage. Um, I think it's, it's a 2017 car, so it's an early Mark 7.5, but it's done 20-something thousand miles, so it's, it's, um, it's not been oh. around the block. Um, it's, got, it's a performance, so it's got the bigger brakes, the extra power, and it's got the diff. This one, importantly, has dynamic chassis control, the adaptive dampers which was one of the things actually that swung it for me because it's very hard to find one of these cars with that option. I was surprised. Um, yeah. So you haven't told us the most important thing about this car. Go on. How many pedals? <laughs> it's got a manual gearbox. Yay! So it's a, a manual Golf GTI Performance 7.5, Mark 7.5, with the diff, with the extra power, with the bigger brakes, dynamic chassis. It's perfect. The spec for me oh, is absolutely wow. spot on. Do you know what? Can, um, I, can I say something about Golf 7? They are the... People will remember the Golf 7 as being the, the absolute apex of Volkswagen engineering excellence. You know, after that, you know, you had Dieselgate came in in 2015. They've all run out of money. Um, and obviously, huge investments had, had to go over into creating EVs, which just means, and we're seeing it now, um, that, you know, the Golf 8 is just... It's just nothing like the car, the Golf 7. And we have, funnily enough, a Golf 7.5 here, um, mm. which isn't a good GTI or anything. It's our family, family runabout. It's a 1.5 something or other. Um, but it, is, it's the, it, was, it was the cheapest one we could get with the fully independent rear end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, every time I get into it, I just think to myself, what a great car. It's so well engineered. Um, I think that's an absolute. I, I, I was kind of hope you'd, you'd have chosen something I could take the piss out of, but actually, it's a cracking <laughs> choice. It's an absolutely terrific choice. Um, yeah, do you know what? I have played it a little bit safe, but I'm still really excited. Um, you, were you tempted to buy an R at all, or is it just too expensive? Well, 
uh, they're a little bit more expensive. I looked at a couple online, but I, I again, yeah. I had one um, when I was at Evo. I had a long termer for a year, so I've yeah. done that. You know, I've ticked mm. that box, um, and I, I I fancy the GTI this time around. Um, it's Fair also enough. a VW approved used car, so it's got a warranty on it for a couple of years, which helps. Um, what color? So. It's grey. So I've gone from one grey car to another, which I, <laughs> I really didn't mean to do. But when you find the right spec, matter. for me, colour just doesn't matter. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a really, really good shout. So I'm going to, annoyingly, it's in South End on Sea, which is not Ooh. near Bristol. <laughs> no. So I'm hopping on the train tomorrow. As long as I like it and it, it's the car that I think it is, I'll be coming home in it. Um, so there we go. I'm excited. Well Golf done. GTI. Well done. But I think, yeah, I think people... I think people aren't going to be as excited as I am because it's a fairly middle-of-the-road choice, I suppose. But um, I don't know. I don't care. I'm excited. Um, and I'll let you know what it's like next week. Please do. But it, it, was, uh, it just made me realise that when we're buying cars, and particularly if you really love cars, it isn't necessarily the case that we f- figure out what type of vehicle we want and then consider the different makes and models in that class. That's certainly not how I've bought this one. Um, mm. I've looked at so many different options and I've been seduced by something over here and then something totally different over here. Um, it's, it's like an exploration rather than a simple journey for me to be. Um, and it's, it's actually been frustrating, but really good fun. And, and this is, you know, I think one of the mistakes, well, we, we make plenty of them all the time, but one of the mistakes that car journalists make all the time is they think in straight lines. They think, well, they yeah. think in classes and they think people... But I can remember having a conversation with someone I met them at a party. I can't remember who they were, but they were they they had about a hundred grand that they wanted to spend on a toy, and they couldn't work out whether to get a Range Rover autobiography hmm. or a Ferrari four five eight. Oh yeah, there you go. It illustrates it really nicely, doesn't it? It's just bizarre. Yeah. It's not as straightforward as we like to imagine it is sometimes. No. Um, good. Okay. All right. Well, we've got a listener question coming up. Um, again, you haven't heard it before. Um, no. But before we do that, thank you to everybody who has reviewed and rated the podcast. I see your reviews coming in um, and they're very kind. So thank you. But please keep doing it because that's how we find a new audience. Um, yeah. please, please also go and check out the-intercooler.com. It's our beautiful new website. We're very proud of it. We publish what we think are brilliant stories every single day um, by what we think is the best writing team in the world. So go to the-intercooler.com and start your free trial. Um, so the listener also, question then. Well, yeah. just before you do that, also, and I don't want to sort of you know bang on about it, but on Thursday, when we release the chunk mm. of the new Last Blast podcast, have a listen. Um, yeah. And if you're somebody who's been kind of, because Dan and I keep on banging on about it, thinking about maybe... Um, subscribing to the website and to the app, have a listen. And if that is enough to, you know, do the trick, then fantastic. We'll see you. Um, we'll see you on there as well. And then you can listen to the whole thing, and you can find out what Chris Hoy would take his last ever drive in, with who mm. and where it would be. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well said. Okay, Adam Griffin. Then, um, yeah. What is the genre of vehicle that no car manufacturer has produced? that you think would do well in the market? So a type of car that has never existed before that would do well. And he says, for instance, nobody has ever built a really, really big estate car. So we've had A6 size, 5 series sized estate cars, but not one above that. Not A8, not 7 series. Imagine the load bay, he says. Um, needn't be any longer than a regular A8 or 7, but would offer a level but, of but, practicality no other car could, he says. But, but yeah, I mean, but if you're going to do that... You know, you just, I mean, I've been, I've been running around in a Volkswagen multivan. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there is so much space. And if you're going to do that, you know, that's the way you go, isn't it? You just get a really big MPV and there are mm. plenty of big MPVs. So that kind of covers, that's an almost impossible question. Um, because, you know, the problem is, is that if you asked me this question 20 years ago, I could have answered it very easily because there are, there were so many gaps between all the classes. But they've all been filled in now because you get these mm. cars which are, you know, estate, SUV, coupe, hatchback, sports, you know, nonsense. And, you know, all the car classes are kind of collapsed on top of each other. Um, 
I'm going to have to give that a moment's thought. If, if you feel like filling okay. in with a few thoughts of your own here okay. at this stage, that would be great, because you seem to have the question and I haven't. I'll do it. And I, I don't... Actually, I don't think it's a good idea now, but I do remember thinking when I lived in the middle of town um, and I had a small, awkward parking space, and for a brief while I was running a Mercedes S-Class, um, mm. which was a lovely thing to knock about in. For a long drive, it was pretty peerless. But where I lived, in the middle of town with a small parking space, a car that long, that big, was a pain. It was really annoying. And I wondered if you could fit all of that luxury, not the space, I know, but that luxury, that ride comfort, that refinement, um, into a much smaller car, C-class size. And I know there's an issue with wheelbase and ride quality, but I would have been down for a car like that at that point. But I suppose when pe- when people... Yeah, when they want a luxury car, they want space. When they're spending a lot of money, they want physical presence and size, don't they? Okay. But a so lu- actually, very luxurious small car is the point. Well, okay, so I, I would... I, okay, it's fine. So you have prompted me. So you were talking about something the size of the C-Class. I thought... I've had this thought, but in a much more extreme way. A really luxurious city car. Yeah. Okay? Um, and you know, and now a really luxurious electric city car. Mm. Um, the mm. only people who have tried it were Aston Martin with the Signet, and it didn't go well. Um, <laughs> I mean, the car was, but 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 that's because it was a completely half-hearted attempt because everybody knew it was a Toyota IQ mm. um, with some you know posh leather bits and a silly grill. Um, so. But I don't. Th- I, th- I think it, the execution was wrong. There, I don't think the concept was because you know I I do know a few people um, who are, you know who live in cities. They're not um, massive fans of um, you know of the public transport system, getting on buses, that sort of thing. They do want a city car, and they all drive smarts and ups and that sort of thing. But so many have said to me they would just like because they spend so much time in them. Yeah, they would just like that to be a premium experience. And I think that if somebody did do a really properly executed um, little city car, but the problem is, how much money could you charge for it? And I think what you'd find yourself is in the worst of all worlds. You know, we know, don't we, that, you know, car manufacturers make money two ways out of cars, either by selling millions of them um, or by taking massive margins out of them. Um, and I think that would be the worst of both worlds. I don't think you'd sell a huge number and you couldn't take an awful lot of money out of them. So, yeah, uh, that's a nice <laughs> idea. And I think I think a truly luxurious, really small city car, so, you know, something mm. that is smart-sized, um, but with all the gear, all the equipment, really nice music machine in it and, you know, proper nav um, and, you know, a real home from home um, would be lovely. But I just don't think the business case would be there to support it. Mm. There you go. Well, good. All right. Well, get your listener questions across um, because they're good fun. We'll do another one next week when Andrew might not be hungover. Possibly. (laughs) Don't count on it. Thanks all. All right. Cheers. Cheers.